Talk with Ben Tompkins. What's good, baby? How's it going? This is Real Talk. I'm Ben Tompkins, and we are presented by Nobody Currently, but these are the mixtape days, and all I know is that if I continue to feature excellent storytellers and guests like today's guest, Roz Poole, and do the work that we're doing, and keep my head down and just keep going with it, one day it's all going to pay off, my friends, and I hope that you'll come along on the ride with me. New listeners, old listeners, how you doing? Good to have you in. And this is a really special episode. This episode features a guest that goes back to my time as a young boy, just a young little lad, sitting crisscross applesauce on a old school tile floor in a public school, listening to one of my favorite teachers and educators come into our classroom and read us this story, Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins. And Every year, she would captivate our class, and she would do it not just for our class. She would go around the school and read this story to all the classes. And it was, dude, I'm telling you, like, anybody that went to Goshen or Harmony Elementary circa 93 through mid-2000s, they will tell you, I remember her. I remember this story. I remember these goblins. I remember these voices. Like, I'm flooded with nostalgia and all the positive feels, man. And I'm telling you what, like, I trace, you know, I've, I've been doing this thing where I'm kind of dissecting myself and I'm tracing the origins of my love of storytelling. And I can't get too far down the list without writing Roz Poole's name down. She was one of the people, um, I'd say it's her and my grandpa and... After that, another long list of people, but like these, these are some of the earliest people that I can remember that made me go, wow, there is really something here. This is like has me, you know? And as a kid with ADHD, all right, I'm probably giving myself too much credit sitting crisscross applesauce. I was probably bouncing, you know, probably bouncing around. But man, I'm telling you what, like, and you'll hear her speak about being an educator and trying to figure out ways to reach children with learning and behavioral differences. How do you reach these kids? How do you get a kid to understand information, dissect information, adopt information in a way that isn't, hey, sit down and learn, right? You'll hear her talk about that Um, because she was and has been a teacher and a teacher's consultant for over 40 years. I mean, she has a lifetime of achievements in this field, and she's an extremely respected professional, a consummate professional and expert in this field. And I was really, really glad that we could sit down and do this because just to reconnect and um, after all these years to get on Facebook and just throw a Hail Mary up there and be like, hey, does anybody remember this? And can anybody tell me where I can find Roz? And we got connected within 10 minutes, and that's just such a beautiful thing nowadays is, uh, you know, probably the only good part of social media, but, uh, you know, that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. But, um, no, this is a really special episode. So Roz goes through what it's been like working as an educator, Um what we could be doing as school systems, like how the system kind of fails some kids when it comes to meeting kids on an individual level. And this this culture that we have of just getting kids to pass the test and then passing the buck along, right? Um, but that really does a disservice to the children because they're not learning, right? So you get kids that are in seventh grade that are reading on second and third grade levels because they've just been passed on and they're just groomed to pass these tests and then it's like somebody else's problem next year, right? That exists a lot in school systems. You'll hear her talk about that during the episode and uh, she gives ways that we could be doing things better. How could we do things better? 
You know, how could we improve this? You'll hear her talk about that. You'll hear her talk about her initial, like, where, or her origin story, right? Like, how she grew up, where she grew up, but also what experiences in her early childhood and adolescence shaped her into wanting to become a teacher and specifically in the first part of her career working with um, and exclusively with children that suffer from learning or behavioral differences, disabilities, disorders, however you'd like to characterize it. That is something that she wanted to do and you know, it's like, okay, now I'm now I'm doing it. Now how do I reach these kids, right? It's like the old Eric Cartman thing from uh, Stand and Deliver. He's like, how do I reach these kids, <laughs> right? But that's like, that's, that's true. That's real talk. It's like, how do I do that? And then after she left Crestwood Elementary, she talks about being a teacher's consultant, and then she's working for Pearson and uh, eventually started her own consulting business, and COVID kind of put a halt on that for now, okay? But um, she talks about what it was like going from using the power of storytelling as a teaching tool and theater as a teaching tool, using it with children, and then working as a consultant with adults and grown-ups, and realizing that these teachers also need to be told stories that you can really reach people through the power of storytelling and it's a superpower and this is my superhero right here so I'm not going to blab too much more uh we go about an hour and five hour and ten minutes here really great stuff uh thank you so much to Roz for sharing everything that she does here um really really powerful and of course by the way at the end, she saves the best for last and reads us a snippet of Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins. And it was awesome because like, she read it and her two granddaughters were sitting in their living room, okay, and I'm sitting on the other end of the Zoom call and she's reading it to us and I swear to God, I mean, I was instantly turned into, I'm 29 years old, man, but in in like an instant, as soon as I started to hear the voices and it just brought me back and then suddenly I was this little kid sitting right there on the floor with her granddaughters just mesmerized, absolutely mesmerized. So thank you so much. Mad love and respect to Roz. Um... Yeah, I think uh, I think that's about it. New listeners, um, there's a couple of different episodes right before I jump into this interview that you should definitely check out. Check out some of the Uber Stories episodes. Check out some of the interviews that I do. This show is Taxi Cab Confessions meets Dr. Phil. Okay, it's usually about the people that I meet driving for Uber, um, but it's really a show about people. It's about people. It's about real people, real stories, real talk, and. Uh, a little life update, I just got my car back. I haven't had it in about five or six weeks, but I just got it back yesterday. And then the reason that we're getting this episode out a little bit later today is because uh, I was kind of doing like a home makeover studio edition and cutting down some legs for the the, the, the desk that I sit at um, because... Sitting in a elevated kind of a way really puts a strain on my body and it's like just ugly stuff that no one really cares about, honestly, so I'm going to shut up about it. But like I finally just got my studio kind of redone and got a new chair in there, got got the legs, you know, cut down and then I got my car back and we're going to be back on road at the end of this month. I'll be up in Columbus to do an episode of the show, Uber Stories Columbus 
also attend Breakaway Music Festival, see Kygo and Elenium and uh, Griffin, and I'm really, really excited about that. And also, I'm going to be doing something in Columbus, okay, that I've never done before in any of the other cities that I've gone and done the Uber Stories concept in. I've done Nashville, Chicago, and Atlanta. And uh, when I go to Columbus, I'm going to be doing something different, but I think it, it has some really beautiful potential to become something big and something that I start doing here in my own backyard. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be going to do a little test run of it here in Louisville, okay? So maybe I'll uh, just tease that out, and then Columbus will really be where we do a big, big uh, expansion on the proof of concept, but I, I think it's something that can... Uh, it's it's really something that's going to continue to build upon what we're doing here. So if you vibe with this, if you vibe with this episode, if you go back and listen to the post-Lewis the Child podcast that I also put up earlier today, it's been a long day, baby, but we're, I'm the Energizer Bunny over here, man. I don't need much, okay? I don't really need much besides maybe some Red Bull and, uh, you know, the Adderall that I take for my ADHD that helps me out get through the day sometimes and keep going, just keep beating that drum, baby. But it's a beautiful thing, and... Uh, Definitely, if you vibe with this, then then please leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Guys, you want to know how you help me grow the show? You're like, I like this guy. I like what he's doing. Love this interview. Hey, my kid needed to hear this. Hey, my my uh, aunt, my, my grandpa, like whoever. If you connect with anything that we talk about on this show, a lot of different subjects, a lot of different subjects. But if you vibe with this, then please let me know by leaving a rating and a review, and that really, really helps me out, okay, on Apple Podcasts, or if you're a Spotify listener, or if you're listening via Google Podcasts or SoundCloud or however you may be listening that's not Apple Podcasts, you can also help me out by leaving a rating and a review on my Facebook page for the show, which is at RealTalkWBennyT. Check me out on Instagram. Same handle, that's where I'm doing a lot of the writer quotes and quotes from the show and also using that as kind of a personal blog because I'm a big traveler and I've got many different stories and many different people to feature on this show page. So that's at Real Talk W Benny T as well. And I'm also on Twitter, TikTok, and my personal Instagram is at BennyTomp18. Please send me your life advice segments. Okay, a lot of what I do is life advice, so if you would like to be featured on my life advice segment, I'll give you some real talk. It's all anonymous, okay, so not here to out anybody, but just here to tell some great stories, help some people out, and uh, remind everybody that we're in these trenches together, okay? Send your life advice segments in, and also your Uber stories. I want to hear your Uber stories, and I want to feature them on this show and become that show, right? That 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 could be its own separate podcast of its own. Right now, I tell all the Uber stories from my personal perspective of having these conversations with my writers, but as this show continues to grow in popularity and reach and people continue to share it, please share this, okay? Not only rate and review and subscribe, but also share this, retweet it, send it to somebody, okay? That also will continue to build as people send in their personal Uber stories. Oh my God, Benny T, please put this one on the show. You are not going to believe this, or this was amazing, or this person protected me, or this Uber driver said exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. Like, I want to hear that stuff. That's really powerful too. So send that to me either via any of the social media channels 
that I plugged up at BennyTomp18 or at RealTalkWBennyT. You can DM me. Again, I'll keep it anonymous, okay? Or you can email them to the show, RealTalkWBennyT at gmail.com. Everybody good with that? Okay. Now, without further ado, I'm very, very proud to present this interview. Here is Roz Poole. Okay. We now welcome Roz Poole to the show. Roz, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for uh, your time and doing this. It was really cool that we got reconnected because we haven't seen each other probably in like 20 years. And uh, At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were at the most in fifth grade. Yeah. So let's... Um, the reason that I reached out was because I'm starting to go through my like kind of tracing my origins of storytelling and my love for storytelling. And I couldn't get much further down the list than thinking about you reading us this famous book and all the kids at Goshen Elementary would look forward to this every single year. You would come around to all the classes. Did you do every, so we'll, we'll get to like, I guess, did you do every single class and like how, how long that took? You said it took 30 minutes. So you, you're going to read a snippet for us later in the podcast episode. But um, I would like to ask you about where your love of storytelling comes in and I'd like to first start, though, by having you explain or at least describe who you are, how long you've been in education, where you grew up. Let's just start from the beginning, I guess. Let's go. Let's let's start with childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, which is where um, my parents both grew up. So I am a longtime Louisvillian. I have some grandparents that also are from from Louisville, which is unusual because um there weren't a lot of Jewish people in Louisville, right? So mm-hmm. it was a very unusual thing for them to have been that long, you know, in the city. Um, I um, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish uh, home. And, of course, you know, when you start to learn religion, you learn it from story, right? Sure. So I would go to Sunday school, and they would tell Bible stories, and I would go— um, you know, I would just go and, you know, I, the stories were always fun. I always enjoyed like Noah and Moses and, you know, all of those, you know, legends, you know, sure. and, and the things that are in the Bible. So I think that, you know, um, you grow up with stories. You know, you have my grandparents weren't much storytellers, but I had aunts, great aunts um, who were and they would tell stories. And it was just, it was, and my grandmother, and it was just very interesting. You know, I, I think that we learn through story. I mean, I think we learn about life and we learn about people, you know, through the, through the stories they tell. Right. And um, when I was in high school, I, you know, I, I was in like the state storytelling, <laughs> you know, competition kind of really? thing. Really? Yeah. And I loved to be, um, on stage, we um, there was a lot of at the Jewish Community Center. They had this thing called Heritage Theater, and they would do musicals, you know. And I would, I was always in the. I never had a real good part, but I was always <laughs> in the chorus, right? Um, not a great singer. And then in my high school um, senior play, I played a comedic role um, of Mrs. Sourberry and Oliver. 
Okay. And I had recently reconnected with Mr. Sourberry, uh, which was kind of interesting <laughs> through Facebook. You talk about the you talk about the joy of Facebook, right? Um, oh, it's incredible. It, I mean, it's, I put it's incredible. I got this thing that said, "Hello, Mrs. Sourberry, it's your husband." <laughs> it was really funny because he was very tall and thin, and I was very short and chubby, and so. Um, it was a very comedic role. They dressed me all in pink and they made me chubbier and I fell into a casket. And, you know, it was, it was pretty classic. <laughs> so, um, but then I went to college and I just kind of forgot about all of it. You know, I didn't do much of it. Um, I want to, can, can I pause for a second? Were these sure. stories that you were writing yourself or were these like renditions of other stories that when you were in those contests? It was renditions of other stories. Gotcha. I was ne- I'm not much of a writer, um, okay. although my granddaughter is. Um, but I, I am not. But I am not. I am not much of a writer. And so, um, but I. But I love doing other people's stories because you know you can interpret them. You know, as you would. And I was usually comedic. It was usually. Um, I, I wasn't one, you know, to tell a heartfelt, sad story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't in my repertoire. No dramas. No dramas. No dramas. <laughs> no Shakespeare. I didn't even do comedic Shakespeare. You know, oh, wow. um, not really feeling like I really had a gift for it, to tell you the truth, but enjoyed it. Sure. Um, and then I went to college and I got very serious. It was during the time of, um, you know, protests and I was very involved in all the movements and doing all of you know, all of that business and got very, very serious, you know, about life. This was in in college. What years were you in college? 69 through 73. Okay. And where did you attend? University of Kentucky. Hey, nice. I got the Kentucky (laughs) shirt on right now. Well, I would have worn mine. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, went to University of Kentucky. So um, back in the days, you know, so, but I really started to get involved in education at that point. Um, I decided that I really wanted to work with kids with behavior um, difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, in those days, we called them behavior disorders, but we would not call them that now. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, um, and and I was very, um, very, very interested in um, helping kids to be in school that were having a difficult time being in school. And so I really kind of devoted my, the first part of my career to that. So I taught children with um, learning differences. I taught kids with behavioral differences. You know, they used to say, bring me your tired, you're poor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, everybody just kind mm-hmm. of came to me. So um, at that point, when I was working with those children, I realized how important story was because I could, they didn't want to listen to me lecture. Like, you know, you're supposed to, (laughs) you should, you know, you were supposed to sit in our seats and we're supposed to, you know, do this and we're supposed to do that. You know, they didn't want to hear any of that business. You know, what they wanted was a story. And I usually told the story about my son it may or may have not been true. Don't tell anybody that. We but won't. I usually, <laughs> which is Agatha's father. She wants us to say that. My granddaughter's father. Okay. Um, you know, because he was very mischievous. And um, 
you know, I could tell a story about when he didn't sit in school or when he leaned his chair back and hit his head or, <laughs> um, you know, funny things that he did and the consequences for him. Right. You know, rather than lecturing the kids. And as I matured as a teacher, I came to realize that story is the best teacher. Right. And I think you realize that. I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I really do think that you know that, Ben, you know, you, you don't teach people through telling them about things. You teach people about having them experience it and the consequences of those experiences. Sure. Yeah, if you can right. capture if you can capture somebody's imagination, you're trying to get them information so you can either tell it to them straight up or you can try and capture their imagination and then you're almost like subliminally selling them on your message or whatever you're trying to convey with your story. They're receiving that information, but they actually want it rather than hey, I have this thing, do this thing, here's this thing and then they're just like, "Uh, I don't really want to, I don't know, I don't know. But if they feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if they're along for the journey, then. Yeah. And I talked to my granddaughter about this this morning that, um, you know, even, you know, fiction stories, stories that are made up, you know, real people's lives, you know, all have, you know, people have stories to tell. Right. 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 Either in books or in movies or in, um, you know, real life, um, podcasts, podcasts, (laughs) and we can can learn from people's stories. So as I, um, became a better teacher, I realized how important it was for me not to sit up there and just yap at people, (laughs) (laughs) but the stories, but the story was important. Um, so I, I was at Crestwood, which is in Oldham County. Mm-hmm. for about 18 years. And um, then I worked for the Kentucky Department of Education. I got a leave of absence during CARA. Do you remember CARA at all? The Kentucky Education Reform Act? Was it uh, after your time? No, I don't think so. I don't I don't remember it. It doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, I think it was after your time. But it's when we had multi-age primary, like we had different grade levels together. And we had you know, the testing that was, you know, not like very traditional multiple choice. And we had, you know, that was, it was really on the avant-garde. Kentucky was like at the head of the, head of the states, Kentucky, believe it or not, Kentucky and Massachusetts. Um, So I got very involved in that and went to the Kentucky Department of Education for a few years and worked with teachers and administrators, you know, who were trying to implement these programs. Mm-hmm. And I was the primary consultant. And um, man, you had to tell stories. <laughs> <laughs> they did not want to hear it, man. They did not want to hear it, period. <laughs> teachers do not like change. Nobody likes change except a wet baby. But sure, teachers really do not like change. So, you know, it was really hard to convince people. And of course, it died because people wouldn't adapt or couldn't adapt or felt like it wasn't necessary to adapt. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so, um, but that was fun for a couple of years and I learned to stand on my feet and give presentations, you know, which I did a lot of during that time as well as being in classrooms. And, um, 
that was really fun. That was really fun. And again, you know, you teaching is theater. Sure. No matter who you're teaching, teaching is theater. If it's not theater, then, <laughs> you know, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> so t- grownups, adult, you know, kids, it doesn't matter who it is. If, you, if you're not engaging and you're not, you know, nobody's paying attention. So anyway, after that, that's when I came to Goshen. Which is like Crystal what year? 95-ish, maybe. Okay. Where were you in 95? I was three, so I was probably just about to start rolling into Goshen, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was there for 12, there in Harmony for about 12 or 13 years. When Harmony, which was another school for those who don't know, started, I went to Harmony. Um, but I was there with Chris Lavisi. Do you remember Chris or was he after oh, your time? No, of course. No, I remember, I remember him. I remember, I have memories of him walking around the hallways. Um, I remember there is, I think a picture in that yearbook of him dressed up in like a hot dog suit or something. And mm-hmm. I remember that school assembly and I can't, I can't believe that I do. But, and then, um, I remember also his very unfortunate passing and growing up with, um, you know, his daughter and his son being in North Oldham as well. And so, yeah, I don't think that, um, that was, that was honestly probably one of my first, I guess, um, relationships or, or acknowledgements of death. I, I never really had anybody close to me die, but a school principal, that's a kind of a big deal. And that, that happened when, when I was pretty young. Yeah. And he and I were very close. Um, he hired me to be the instructional coordinator um, and when he had brain cancer, um, I sat with him across from his desk because he got, <laughs> he don't got make me cry now. Don't make me cry now. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, <laughs> he got really, he got really addled. I don't know what, what's a better word for it, but he would go out in the hall and hire people on the spot. Mm-hmm. So it was my job to kind of keep him under, you know. We tried to, we wanted him to keep his, he had to keep his job to a certain point in order for his wife to get the benefits Mm -hmm. when he died. So, I mean, it was my, I had this job, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for a couple of years. And I really basically ran the school for a couple of years, um, which was interesting. But anyway, I loved him deeply and dearly. And I think about him every day, but um, he was a fabulous, great man. So when I was at Goshen, I thought, well, when I was at Crestwood, I told Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins, you know, to my class, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe in a couple of other classes. But when I got to Goshen, it occurred to me that a lot of the kids did not know um, Jewish tradition. And I guess it's good for me to say that I am not, that when I um, was in college, no, when my daughter was born in 1980, I converted to being an Episcopalian. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I, I don't think you can take the Jewishness out of anybody, honestly. That's my opinion. But, mm. you know, but I still wanted my kids and I wanted children to understand differences, right? Religious sure. differences. And Goshen, let's face it, Ben, not diverse. No, no none of the schools <laughs> there really are. So No, they're not. I mean, that was a white flight, you know, place, right? Of course. Um, that's where everybody went not to be diverse. So um, I thought it, I thought it important for people to know other 
cultures, other religions, right? Other mm -hmm. ways of doing, other ways of knowing. So I just decided that I was just going to go around and do Herschel the Hanukkah goblins with everybody. <laughs> so um, I, I had an old menorah, and I, which is, you know, the candles with the, with the lights. Mm -hmm. And I took that, and I took Herschel, and I took dreidels, which is the spitting top game, right? Yeah. I remember the song. Yeah. You, uh, you taught us the song. Yeah, I have a little dreidel. <laughs> and um, and we and I went around to all the classes and we told and, and instead of saying this is a menorah and this is the story of Hanukkah, you know, which I thought would not be memorable or kind of silly, I, re I read Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins, which tells the story doesn't tell the story of why there's Hanukkah, but it tells the story of things culturally that you do during that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And, you know, and I, we played the dreidel game and, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, we did Hanukkah. Did you so, read it to every single class? I think I did. I think I did. Now, kindergartners and first graders see it on a whole different level than fifth graders do. Mm -hmm. You know, Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins has some interesting little jokes in it you know like one of the like one of the goblins you know they're 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 betting on the dreidel you know they got go the goblin brings gold you know and herschel's bidding with him on the dreidel and he says now if you give if i if if i write if you write if you roll you know gimel which is one of the letters on the dreidel if you roll gimel you know if you roll gimel um you give me everything you know yeah. If you roll, um, you know, if you roll Shem, you give you give me half. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was no way Herschel was gonna lose, right? Right. Well, kindergartners and first graders don't necessarily get that joke, right? It's a little complex. But mm -hmm. by fifth grade, everybody's rolling in the aisles because you know Herschel's brilliant. You know, yeah. but. You don't realize that when you're young. So every year you you listen to it's like any good story. You can hear it a hundred times, and you hear it in different ways depending on your developmental ability to understand it and your background knowledge. Sure. Did anybody? So, so uh, when you would get together, because I remember we used to have pods back in the day where we would have the teachers' aid in the middle of these four classrooms that shared like a common intersection space. So would you get together four pods at one time or would you get together like all the first graders? Because if you went around reading a 30 minute story to every single class, like how did that day typically look like for you? I don't remember, to be honest with you, but I'm sure I didn't do four classes at once. OK, I may have done two, um, but there's no way I did four. It was it would have lost its glory because you wouldn't have been able to we didn't have we didn't have um projection back then when i could show where i could show the book to everybody right right you know so i'm sure it was i'm sure it was one or two classes and then would I'm you sure. just do it like a week you'd be like this is herschel week we're gonna go to all the different yeah. classrooms herschel week herschel week baby sign up <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome just sign up for herschel week it was usually really close to. Um, it was really. It was usually really close to Christmas break, so the teachers were really happy to. Right. 
any 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 30 minute break works any 45 minute break is wonderful <laughs> now did you ever have anybody push back and say we don't want this book to be read i mean you talk about white flight and some of the waspy parents and oh i don't want my kid learning this we see this happen all the time never had anybody say anything about it nope never had a word that's good in fact my granddaughter goes to a bilingual school one of my granddaughters um and she's learning Spanish and English. And um, I, I read it to her class and half of them didn't understand English. And the teacher translated it as I read it and we didn't get any kickback and, and we played the dreidel game. So that's awesome. It was, you know, it was, um, it was okay. My other granddaughter was also in kind of a, there weren't very many Jewish kids in Darien were there. No. Um, and so, you know, we, I went there and there wasn't any, everybody enjoyed it as well. So good. So then how long were you at Goshen elementary? I don't remember. I was, I was between Goshen and Harmony between about 12 years together. I think I may have been at Harmony two or three of those. Um, time just when you're my age just goes by (laughs) and then I retired and then that was my first retirement. I've had two or three. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I went to work for Pearson Publishing Company. You know Pearson? It was it was an old it was a longtime publishing company. They published uh, textbooks and oh, okay, sure, yeah, children's materials. Usually, you you would remember more from college, probably. You know, okay. Pearson book. Sure. Um, and I worked for them for 10 years, and I traveled all over the country working with teachers. It was so much fun. So I got to be an educational consultant, and just, I was on, it was, some days it was, some weeks it was um, five cities, you know, four, 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 plane, four plane rides, five cities, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I was, I was all over the country, and it was just an unbelievable job for somebody in their fifties, you know, and, um, and it was just, it was so much fun. So, and I, and again, you know, I'm training teachers, you know, I'm working with teachers in classrooms and, and really helping teachers with materials. And, um, it was all story, you know, they wanted to hear the story behind it. They wanted (laughs) to hear, you know, how, what other people were doing, you know, with it. Right. You know, they didn't want me just to come up and say, now look on page four. And I had a friend who was a consultant who was much funnier than I am. Her name was Lenore. And she would have them rolling in the aisles. I mean, she would just tell stories that just had them rolling and it just was engaging. And they and they listened. Mm-hmm. So teaching again, theater, right? No matter who you're no matter who you're teaching. Yeah. And then I retired from there after 10 years. And kind of went into a little business for myself because I was tired of traveling and worked around Illinois until the pandemic. And then the pandemic just kind of killed the whole thing. So what was the business? I was consulting. I was doing the same thing I did for Pearson. I was just doing it on my own. Um, Going into classrooms, working with teachers, especially students for special needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and going into classrooms and, you know, helping the teachers, you know, um, adapt, um, 
their materials and, you know, their teaching styles to the kids that were sitting in front of them. And then would you so, also, would you sell them products as well that Pearson was Well, Pearson, I was not, I, I went in after the product was sold. Gotcha. Okay. So they, you know, they would buy the product and they would buy me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> or buy a consultant, you know. What so a I bonus. Yeah. I didn't have to sell. Um, <laughs> there was one time I did sell something. I made a million dollar sale in Minneapolis at the very beginning of my career with Pearson. What? And, oh, yeah. Because they all bought, they bought the books, you know, and I went in and did my shtick. And um, yeah, that was fun. But, I, but I, that wasn't my normal job. Oh, yeah. You just casually sell a million dollars worth of product and it's just, you know, no big deal. Yeah, it wasn't my thing. It was fun. But I mean, I, it was too much pressure. I mean, if we hadn't have gotten it, you know, they would have blamed me. It, you know, I was lucky. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's the story there. That's the story there. And then and then now I'm just I'm I have been the grandmother in charge of my two youngest granddaughters during the pandemic. So their so their parents can work. Nice. <laughs> and I've learned Spanish in a dual language program. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> with, my, with my granddaughter who was home all gear. She didn't, they didn't go back to school last year at all. Mm -hmm. Well, they did at the end for a couple of days a week. So that's what I've been doing. When you were traveling, did you have a territory or would you go anywhere they told you to go? Anywhere they told me to go. I got to see so much. Um, I, you know, I'd go to California. I never felt like I could drive in the snow because, you know, I was a school teacher from Kentucky, right? <laughs> and school teachers from Kentucky don't learn to drive in the snow because we stay home and eat oatmeal on those days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or we did, or we did back in the day. Right. Um, so, but there was a couple of times I was in the mountains of Montana and it was a blizzard and I had to drive. And then I was way up in Maine one time, like in Eastport, Maine, you know, in a hotel with a, they didn't even have a real heating system there. <laughs> no. um, and then I had to drive to the airport. I thought I was going to die. So, um, no, so I know I had all kinds of, I went from sea to shining sea. I had, it was really fun. It was really, really fun. What were some of your favorite places? I always loved California, going to California. That was always fun. I enjoyed California. Um, I enjoyed um, along the East Coast up uh, above New York. I always liked going to New York. We did a lot of work in New York. And that was always like we, you know, there was always a bunch of us that went. Mm -hmm. And we always we went to shows and, you know, did fun things. But I liked going like to Massachusetts was beautiful. Up in that area was beautiful. Um, I wasn't crazy about going to the South particularly, but that's cause I'm from the South, right? Or it's kind of the South. Yeah. But, um, no, no, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun and, um, you know, plain stories, you know, there was always something to tell, you know, your luck, you know, you arrived, but your luggage didn't, um, you know, one time they, I didn't get on a flight cause the bathroom didn't work and didn't make where I was going and. <laughs> One time there was a plaque missing off a plane and they wouldn't fly it. I mean, you just, it's like air travel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I just could, and then I got to the point where I thought, you know, this, <laughs> I, 
this is no fun anymore, you know, because it was just getting too hard. The air travel, the air travel was hard. Right. Were you married during that time that you were traveling? Oh, yeah. I've been married for many 48 years, maybe something like that. 47, 48 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I need it. Um, <laughs> no, but we, you know, when you've been married that long, you know, he was happy to see me go and he was happy to see me come. You know? <laughs> yeah. Spice <laughs> things up a little bit. Yeah. I don't know about that, but it was, it gave us some space. <laughs> What's good, guys? I hope you're enjoying this interview with Roz Poole. I just wanted to take a quick break really quickly and shout out to my man, Tyler Pope, who owns the barbershop Fades on 4th down near UofL's campus. If you're looking for a place to go and get a haircut, tell him Benny T sent you and tell him I ride with Benny T and he's going to get you hooked up with a Supreme Service haircut. Take a little bit off. Compliments of, uh, you know, what we got going on here. But he's a family man. He's a family guy. And he is uh, really trying to make a positive impact in the community. And I just really vibe with him and his business and everything that he's doing. So if you're looking for a new place to go get your hair cut, go down to Fades on 4th. Go see Tyler Pope. You can check his availability and book with him on the Booksy app. Okay. But uh, tell him I ride with Benny T, and he's going to get you right, man. He's going to get you looking fresh. That guy right there is the godfather of the fade, all right? Do not mess with him. But go down there and uh, tell him I'm friends with Benny T, all right? And he's going to get you taken care of. All right, back to Roz. So what made you want to work with um, children who deal with different behavior um I, I think I think still people call them disorders still. I mean, I have bipolar disorder. I had a, a borderline personality disorder expert that was on. I think that's still an acceptable way to, to characterize it. But what made you want to go and do that specifically? Did, did you ever grow up um, with dyslexia or ADHD? Or did somebody that you knew when you were young have that? No, not at all. Of course, if they did, we didn't know it. Right. I mean, we didn't, we just had bad, we just, we just had children that didn't know how to behave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, you know, we, we didn't, and they put them in, you know, we didn't, we didn't even, we didn't know any of that existed, um, which was a bad thing for a lot of kids. Sure. Well, I think what really, what really spurred me to do that was my father, um, had what they used to call a nervous breakdown. He had a real episode with depression. Um, when I was in my teens and I got very interested in that mental health, mm -hmm. you know, um, in those days, you know, when they, when you were depressed, they gave you electroshock therapy. So he went to the old Our Lady of Peace. I don't know what you wouldn't remember that, but it was at a hospital in Louisville for the people who were suffering from mental illness. And, um, and he would, um, and he got electroshock therapy and, you know, there was, but he never got therapy. I mean, like he, they never, he never saw a psychologist or a psychiatrist for talk therapy at all. You know, they just, you know, treated, treated the depression. And I, at the time I was maybe 13 or 14. I thought, hmm, you know, this doesn't seem right to me. So it got me very, very interested in mental health. Um, and then I learned about autism. 
I read this book called Dibs in Search of Self or something, which was like a, the first book ever um, published about somebody with autism. And I just got interested in it. You know, it was just kind of my thing. So um, it, it stayed my, it's, it has stayed my thing. Yeah. And my son, um, who lives here in Chicago, is the, um, I don't know what his exact title is, but he's some kind of director at the National Alliance for Mental Illness. So it, <laughs> really, so it, it's, it's, it's come down the line. And my daughter is an Episcopal priest. So, wow. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, it, we, it's been very interesting, you know, how my life has, you know, curtailed into theirs. It's funny how things come full circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a rabbi, so, you know, it was good that she wanted to be an Episcopal priest. I thought it was cool. My <laughs> mother used to say, my granddaughter, the Episcopal priest, <laughs> <laughs> in her little Jewish accent. When your dad would go and get these treatments, would he behave differently after he came back? Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, because that's such a, I mean, I see that in, like, movies when it's, like, a torture scene from the 50s or something. I mean, to think yes. about being, like, here, here's 10,000 volts, feel better, you know, like, what would that be like after he would get home? Was he mentally just, like, out of it for a few days, or did he just act different, or can you explain that? Yeah, well, it totally destroyed uh, short-term memory. So he would not remember like, you know, say, I don't remember the timeline, but even let's say a week ago, you know, he wouldn't have any memory of anything. Mm -hmm. So he actually had the treatments while he was hospitalized. Mm -hmm. um, but we would go see him, but he would not remember us, you know, being there before or, you know, it pretty much zapped his short term memory. Um, it did make him feel better, I guess, because, I mean, he did come out of it. <laughs> and he lived to be 96. Um, but so, you know, he had a nice life after all that happened because he was probably in his late 40s. Or, you know, late 40s when all that, you know, came about. Mm -hmm. um, but he had a lovely life. You know after he came out. So, you know, and they put him and eventually when medication came out, you know, to help with depression, they, um, he, he started taking that. He took it his whole life. So wow. just a little bit, I mean, nothing major. But. Wow. Did it also ever affect his long-term memory? Do you think over time? I mean, Oh no, the man could tell a great story. No, he <laughs> didn't. No. It didn't affect his long-term memory at all. That's good. But it did. But I remember that thinking that's this is just doesn't seem right to me, you know. And for years I couldn't watch those movies that you talked about. Yeah. You know where they, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, it would freak me out. Yeah. Wow. Did how did you understand that as a kid? Well, I understood that he was sick because you know he tried to kill himself, and I understood that. Um, People were yelling at him a lot. Like my his sister would come, my aunt, and they would and my mother, and they just they didn't nobody understood it, right? Mm -hmm. 
So they just yelled at him. And I would take my sisters. I was the oldest of three girls. And, you know, we'd go out on the porch so they didn't have to hear it. You know, I was trying to protect everybody. I was probably 13, 14. And, um, you know, they, um, you know, and I, you know, and nobody really understood it, you know. And then they hospitalized him after he tried to kill himself. And, um, you know, and then he got he got a little bit better. But they all just thought he was lazy. He wouldn't get out of bed. They just thought he was lazy. They yelled at him to get out of bed and go back to work. And nobody understood it. Yeah. Did nobody, he have, nobody Did he have anything going on at that time? Or was it just... Because sometimes, like, um, certain things will trigger episodes. Other times, there's just, like, a baseline depression that can just spur into episodes. But just... Were, were there anything, was there anything going oh, on? Yeah. 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 He was, he was, he was the son of two of the meanest people I ever met. <laughs> My <laughs> Um, They were just, I don't even, I can't even talk about them. They were just at the time. I mean, my whole life, they were mean. Um, you know, I wanted to play the piano and my grandmother, when she moved to Florida, sold her piano instead of giving it to me. I mean, you know, I mean, uh-huh. They were just me. And um, so um, my father had, my grandfather had retired and moved to Florida and left my father with the wholesale hardware business that he had raised. So what my father did was he took orders from all the small hardware stores, right? Mm-hmm. And he would be the middleman. He This was, you know, back in the day when there was a middleman, you know, and he would fill the orders and he'd ride around in a station wagon you know, sometimes I'd go with him and I'd be in the very back with the stuff in the back of the station wagon. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, he would deliver to all the hardware stores. I mean, that was what he did. Well, about that time was when Kmart came rolling out. I think Kmart was probably the first of them, you know, and some of the big box stores. Mm-hmm. So the little hardware stores you know, started to go out of business one by one mm-hmm. for the most part. Although we still have one in Evanston. <laughs> really? Or they, Yeah. Or they became the Ace Hardware. You remember the Ace Hardware? You know, there's Ace Hardware, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but that was a ch- that was also kind of a chain. They bought Ace was the middleman, right? Or, you know, what my dad did. So the business started to go under. And so... Um, I think, and his father was very mean about it. And unbeknownst to us, my father was paying my grandfather so much a month for the business. We thought he had just given him the business, but he hadn't. Mm. So, so he owed, and his dad would not like not take the money. I mean, I mean, he made, he was making my father pay it, even though, my father was making no money and my mother didn't work at that point. Mm. So I think that's probably what threw him under. Would have yeah. thrown anybody. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing that. That's, um, yeah, it was, it was quite the time. It was quite the time. So then that creates this interest in you watching your dad right. go through some of that to want to help. Right other people and understand it more and what's it been like working as an educator? I mean, going from 
this isn't even like something that anybody is considering or talking about to then some of the resources and, and some of the research that exists now, what's that been like working in education start to finish and watching how mental illnesses or, or learning behavioral issues have been treated and viewed in the last 20 or 30 it's, years? It's better, but it's not good yet in schools. How could it be better? I think it could be better because what what we're doing is we're not taking, you know, we're saying this kid has ADHD. Let's take that for an example, which is a mild, you know, a mild disability, um, you know, and we're treating it with medicine, right? Um, but we're not really tuned in to the differences in the way that child might learn. So for example, a ch you know, a child that has an attention deficit disorder can't listen to a teacher lecture, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for 10 minutes, much less 50 minutes when they're in high school, right? Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, even on medication, you know, and, and you don't want kids to just think that they have to be medicated in order to function either. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a good thing for little kids, especially. Um, you know, you're only, you know, and the teacher will say, do you have your medicine? Did you take your medicine this morning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know, that's not the way we need to be treating people. So um, I think that we need to, to start thinking about um, the ways in which we're teaching and the engagement in which we have and the amount of time we're asking people to do tasks, um, you know, or to um, attend or the amount of information we're giving at one time. For kids that have um, more severe emotional disorders, you know, school is just not set up. For anybody with oppositional defiant behavior disorder, <laughs> those are the kinds of kids that I started out with, and you know they were they were taking their fists through walls. You know they, you know <laughs> that you know it it was it was just not. You don't say to that child, "Sit down and learn." You know it it, it isn't going to work. Yeah. So we've got to start coming up with with better ways. You know. Um, you know, can we take people outside? Can we talk to them while they're while they're doing other things? Can we, um, you know, can we provide for them? You know, as you know, when they feel themselves getting out of control, you know, a safe place to go without um, repercussion. Mm -hmm. And especially um, with my work in schools where it, where the socioeconomic development is low. Mm -hmm. um, the teachers are so overwhelmed with everything that the children who are um, who need um, a lot of TLC can't get it because everybody needs TLC. Right. And we and and so that's why one of the reasons I think why you know we look at schools as a whole and schools within the cities are not doing as well as schools in the burbs 
because if you're in the burbs and you've got something, somebody's going to really hone in on you, man. You're going to get an IEP. You're going to, which is educational plan. You're going to, you know, woo, 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 woo. You know, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be on a track, right? You got parents that are on it, you know, you know, you've got a kid, you know, walking into an inner city school. He's one of many you know, who's, who, who, who is suffering from trauma. I mean, you talked in one of your podcasts about how trauma, you know, affects mental illness. You know, you've got trauma, you've got generational trauma, you've got so much going on, you know, and we're not providing for those kids um, an appropriate education. We're just worried about them being on grade level, the way the system is set up right now. Just passing, the, be- passing them off, right? Right. Well, passing the test. See, you know, the schools are all judged by the test, right? Right. Yeah. So if they can't pass the test and they got to be taught on grade level, I work with a, with a, I will, they will remain nameless with a group of schools in another state where they're, and they only take children. Well, they take some other children, but mostly children with special needs behaviorally. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, they're judged on whether those kids pass the grade level test or not. Mm-hmm. They're doing great work with some of those kids. I mean, great work. I mean, they'll take a kid who enters in fourth grade who's a non-reader, and by sixth grade, they're reading on a third grade, fourth grade level. That's good work. Sure. Right? Yeah. But, see, they're still not on grade level. So they get bad report cards and bad this and bad that, you know, from the state. And so, a lot of a lot of that's tied up with funding too, right? It's tied up with funding. It's tied up whether the state comes in and tries to tell you what to do. Um, it's tied up with everything, and um, we shouldn't be. We should not be judging just. To, I don't think we. I think that when we started to give the test to everybody, um, it was part of it was a good thing because it made teachers accountable for the kids with special needs, mm-hmm. which they were never accountable. When I started teaching, you know, I said I was, I was on the stage, you know, behind the, <laughs> behind the <laughs> curtain with my kids, you know, <laughs> um, nobody, I mean, I went five years before a principal even, you know, came in and saw the, what I was doing, Wow. you know, when I first started teaching, um, cause I had the kids with special needs. They didn't count. So when we started counting and that was a good thing, mm-hmm. but now we got to think about what does success look like? Right. Yeah. Yeah. For it's, individual. Kids. Yeah. I mean, su- success is one of those things that's defined so differently for anybody, depending on what it is. So yeah, tailoring, uh, tailoring things to students and their individual needs feels like it should be something that should be done without question, right? Um, and you can't do it in this environment. Yeah. You, you can't do it. So I go in and these poor little kids who read on second, third grade level are getting these seventh, you know, getting this sixth, seventh grade content, you know, and the question is how do we do, and there, there's nothing wrong with them mentally. They just have had bad schooling. Um, you know, you know, how do we, how do we get them to be able to do this work, right, quickly? Right. And it doesn't, it's not good for them to be frustrated. You know, that just sets it off. Right. You know, that just makes them feel worse. 
um, yeah, it's it's really interesting, Ben. It's extremely interesting. Well, I hope that we can continue to get there. I, I had one um, person that came on the show who is a life coach and an addiction specialist, and he was telling me that he grew up with ADHD, and when you know back in his day, uh, he's he's older. He's probably in his sixties, and he was saying a child that grows up with ADHD or some kind of a learning um, delay will be nicked like ten thousand more times than a student that just sits there in their chair and learns and and can do it right. And he said that that prolonged. All of those little nicks add up to create this, uh, you know, a traumatic experience for a kid or a deficiency. You look at other students in the classroom and you start to create this image of yourself that isn't on par with everybody else. That's really damaging. That's really, really sad to think that that's going on, that that happens all the time. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it happens all the time and it's still happening especially in schools where teachers are very overwhelmed. You know, I go to really great schools where the teachers are not as overwhelmed and these kids are doing so much better. But if you're overwhelmed with a lot of poverty and a lot of kids in trauma and a lot of kids who are going through, you know, who are homeless, who are going through a lot, it's very, very difficult for a teacher or a school to hone in and meet individual and your class sizes are 30. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they are in many city schools. Um, it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, and it's I, not the school's fault necessarily. It's the system's fault. Yeah. And especially when we talk about teachers being in different socioeconomic classes, right? So out here, there is a much smaller, probably a much smaller Maybe not much, but but I would I would I would bet that there's a smaller teacher to student ratio yes. than in schools and elementary schools and middle schools that are in the city, and I think right. that not only is there a lack of resources, but teachers. I mean, it's a job, right? So teachers get out of school, they say, "I want to go and work in this school district." They're a blue ribbon school. They're blah 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 blah. I don't want to go to this school where I'm going to be fighting for basic essentials that I need in my classroom. And also, I mean, teachers are not only just teachers. I mean, they are, they're maids, they are moms, <laughs> they are the, the lunch committee. I mean, they do so many different things for kids. And it's funny because I think about it now, and I never really thought about this until I got older. And then I started seeing all of my friends who were in college that were studying to become like elementary education teachers or go into education. And I started to realize as some of those friends then went and took jobs, like how young a lot of teachers actually are. And then I was looking back at some of these yearbooks and I was like, oh yeah, I remember like when Miss Hausladen went to Miss Baker between my <laughs> second and third grade year. And like, I remember all these teachers getting married and I don't think that I ever really realized or was, was, was um, cognizant of the fact or how young some of these teachers are. So you're taking 24, 25, 23 year old, a lot of them women, and you're sticking them in these schools and saying, good luck. First job out of college, you're probably going to be somewhere in the city. And um, not only yeah. that, not only that, I think teachers are asked to do so much now as mental illness has become such a normalized thing. Now, I feel like 
teachers should be able to get trained, and maybe they do, and maybe I'm just ignorant about this, but they, there, I think there should be a mandatory training so that they can understand, I mean, just like we have sensitivity training in the workplace, understand how to reach different kids and meet different kids where they're at. Right. And, and, and I think that they are doing more of that now. There's a lot of emphasis on social, um, what do they call it? They call it, um, I can't remember, but on social development stuff. Sure. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of emphasis, but, but the reality of it is, you know, I walk into a classroom. Okay. I did walk into a classroom. I started out in Louisville public schools. I was the only white person within 20 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you walk in and you think you know how to do all this, but the reality of it is, is that it's too hard to manage. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just too hard to manage. And at, I remember taking my kids to the park when I worked in Louisville Independent because we didn't have a playground. And they'd say, where's the teacher? And they say, she's a little white one. <laughs> you know, I was 21 <laughs> years old. You know, and some of my fourth graders, they kept holding these kids back. I think some of my fourth graders were starting to grow beards. You know, I mean, they were, <laughs> you know, they were almost as old as I was. And we had no resources. And, you know, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, and you think about these these people that even like me that wanted to be in those situations, you know, I wanted to be there, but I did not have the resources. I did not have the life experience. I did not have, um, there was no mentors. There was no, now we're better now. We have mentors. We give people, you know, we give teachers some more support than we used to. There's a lot more team work among teachers than there used to be. Um, I think we, I think we're really trying, but it's still, when you get 30 kids and most of them, if not all of them have been traumatized, mm-hmm. you know, in some way, right? Sure. All the training in the world will not help you make, will meet 30 individual needs. Yeah. You can't do it. it it's, it's humanly impossible. Now there's certain things you can set up that make it better and certain thing, ways you can be that make it worse, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, but it's, it's, it's a very, 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 as you said, difficult job. Definitely. Well, that's why it takes innovative teachers like yourself, understanding the power of storytelling and having the gift of gab so that you can reach yeah. these people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, they exist. They're good ones. They're good. There's, wonderful great teachers out there and um and you know i hope i i i would encourage you know most people who are teachers say don't be a teacher don't but i would encourage anyone to become a teacher i think that it was it was a very great gift to me to be a teacher and i have loved every just about not every second <laughs> just, just just about everything about it throughout my life. It was really a calling for me, yeah. you know, and, um, and I, and I feel very, very good. Well, you called on me. I mean, you know, about, about the work and I've heard from some of my old Crestwood kids, you know, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's nice to know, you know, a couple of them became teachers and a couple of them have done this or that. And it's just, it's 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 been very it's been a it's been a great ride, it's been a great good. ride. Good, yeah. Well, there's 
on behalf of everybody that maybe um, had as difficult of a time as I had finding you on on uh, you know <laughs> through Google. Luckily, we had Facebook, and then I put that out there, and then within ten minutes, somebody had tagged you, and that was awesome. So thank you to that person. But um, no, I think that there's there's just sometimes we don't always take the time to thank the people that helped us, even though we we remember them and we're very thankful of what they provided for us. But sometimes. For whatever reason, we just don't always make the time to reach out and say that. But even though I didn't become a teacher, I've started to dissect my own wow. life and and think about storytelling. And I trace a lot of those origins back to you and just remembering what it was like to sit there and just be captivated and just understand that you were taking us to a place that we otherwise wouldn't have able to to learn or to connect with this story or just in general. I mean, storytelling is a really, really, it's a superpower. It's a superpower and you're a superhero in my eyes. So thank you so much well, for, uh, yeah. Well, I think you're a superhero too because I have listened <laughs> to some of your podcasts and they are incredibly wonderful. <laughs> um, and um, I have really, I have really enjoyed um, listening. I love the story about your grandfather and your grandparents and, I, I've enjoyed um, some of your Uber stories as well. They've been great. Good. I, yeah, I hope like, the <laughs> I hope the language isn't uh, you know too bad on some of them. No, so. heavens no. I love I love. I, I taught emotionally disturbed children. You don't think that I don't <laughs> ever heard bad language um, <laughs> directed directly at me? Um, yeah. So yeah, no. Um, I really, um, I really, really, really. Um, <laughs> I think you're doing a good, you're doing a great service to people because I think that whenever we tell stories and whenever we share our lives with people, people learn something from it. Definitely. And I think it's a gift. Well, let's go ahead and parlay this into our long awaited uh, reading okay. a little bit of, of Herschel. Yeah. Okay. And Anna, are you getting Aggie? Aggie, Aggie has lost. We've lost Aggie. Not <laughs> not seven a, year old. We lost a, her. Yeah. Um, so Roz has two of her granddaughters. For everybody that can't see my screen, obviously, and it's going to be listening to this later, Roz has two of her granddaughters that are sitting in their living room here, ready to read this, and looking forward to Grandma reading this story. So Herschel of Ostropol is a Russian man. <laughs> <laughs> and it and this this story takes place in Russia, probably at the beginning of the 20th century, sometime or late 19th century. And it's the first night of Hanukkah, and he's going toward this village, and he's very happy because he knows it's the first night of Hanukkah, and he's tired, and he gets to the village, but he doesn't see any Hanukkah lights. So he should see one Hanukkah light because it's the first night of Hanukkah. He should actually see two because there's a candle that you light all the candles with called the Shamus candle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's going to light the first, but he doesn't see any Hanukkah candles. And he asks the villagers, isn't tonight the first night of Hanukkah? And they tell him they, they don't have Hanukkah, Herschel. And he says, no Hanukkah. How can that be? And they say, well, it's because of the goblins. They haunt this old synagogue at the top of the hill, and they hate Hanukkah. Whenever we try to light a menorah, the goblins blow out the candles. They break our dreidels. They blow our potato lockings on the floor. Those wicked goblins make our lives miserable all year long. 
but on Hanukkah, it's really bad. So Herschel knew he must help the people. And he says, I'm not afraid of goblins. Tell me how to get rid of them. So Herschel says, it's not as easy as you think, the rabbi warns. You must spend eight nights in the old synagogue. The Hanukkah candles must be lit on each night. And on the eighth night, the king of the goblins must light him himself. That is the only way to break their power. So Herschel says he's not afraid. And the, the villagers wish Herschel good luck. So they give him several hard-boiled eggs for him to eat and a big jar of pickles. <laughs> and they give him a brass menorah to light the candles. And then the villagers said goodbye. They didn't expect to see Herschel again. So Herschel goes to the old synagogue at the top of the hill, and it's very creepy. And he put two candles in the menorah and set it on the windowsill. He struck a match and lit the shamus candle. He said the blessings and was about to light the other candle when he heard a voice. Hey, what are you doing? Herschel turned around. Here was a goblin no bigger than a horsefly with a long pointy tail and two little bat wings hovering in the air. I'm lighting Hanukkah candles, Herschel said. Tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. Oh, no, it's not. We don't allow Hanukkah, not around here. <laughs> is that so, said Herschel? Who's going to stop me, a little pipsqueak like you? <laughs> I may be little, but I'm strong, said the goblin. Really? Can you crush rocks in your hands, asked Herschel. The goblin laughed. Crush rocks? You're joking. Nobody's that strong. I am. Watch. So Herschel took a hard-boiled egg from his pocket and squeezed it until the yolk and the white ran through his fingers. That's how hard I'm going to squeeze you if you try to stop me from lighting these candles. The little goblin's eyes opened wide since in the dim light, the egg looked exactly like a rock. The little goblin shook with fear. You leave me alone, he squeaked. Gladly, said Herschel, if you let me light my candles in peace. All right, said the goblin. One night won't make any difference, but you better not be here tomorrow. Big, scary goblins are coming, much bigger than I. If they catch you lighting those Hanukkah candles, you'll be sorry. <laughs> we'll see about that, Herschel said to himself. And he lit the first candle. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who's interested, go get Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins by uh, Eric Kimmel. I better give this. Uh, of course. Written by Eric Kimmel, illustrated by Trina Shard Hyman. Um. And it's published by Holiday House, New York. I have the 25th anniversary edition here. Wow. <laughs> wow. So I must have picked it up when it was brand new. I didn't realize that. You know, I, I didn't know because it was first published in 85. Wow. So I must have picked it up when it was pretty new. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's uh, It brings back all the memories. And what was really cool, too, was seeing all the other people who saw that post that were then like, oh, my God, I remember that. You know? <laughs> it's really fun. It's really, it's really, been, it's really been fun. When, when um, I taught at Crestwood, my mother used to come. And 
make latkes. Mm. She would actually come and we'd eat when the days when you could eat in school. You can't eat in schools anymore because of all <laughs> the allergies. But yeah. she used to she used to make latkes and um, sour. You know, we put sour cream or applesauce on them, and yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. You want to hear from my granddaughters real quick? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Who wants to talk? Anna? Oh, they don't want to. I thought they wanted to talk. They oh. Don't be okay. shy. He's saying, don't be shy. Don't you want to talk about me when I came to see Red Reed Herschel? Just say, hi, I'm Anna. Hi, I'm Anna. Hey, Anna. So what did you think when your grandma came in and read that book to you guys? Um, I don't know. She just like taught us how to like spin the dreidel and we had like little tables of four where when I was at school and we just like played with the four four kids at the table and it was really fun. Which one of the goblins is your favorite? Um, the little one. The little the one that she just read? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, my grandpa used to come in and read to my class when I was in preschool and I still remember that. He used to come in and read Casey at the Bat. And I thought it was the coolest day ever when my grandpa would come and I got to sit next to him and everybody in the class was watching him. And then I just really thought that that was such a cool thing. So the fact that you guys have a grandma that's willing to do that um, and share that with you is really, really special. One day, one day you'll get as old as me and you'll look back and be like, I wish I could be back on that couch thinking about that again. So enjoy these moments. Okay. Aggie, what do you have to say? Want to talk about doing it in Spanish? <laughs> it was hard. It was actually kind of hard to do stuff in Spanish when I was when I was in my school. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for your input. Yeah. Nice to meet you guys. Good <laughs> <laughs> oh, job, that's girls. Awesome. Yeah. Well. We can go ahead and start to wrap up here. Um, usually I sure. ask people to kind of give just, I mean, if you were going to open up your heart, just let it flow. I mean, the, the, your, your biggest truisms, the thing that you believe the most, the thing that you wish that everybody could hear, what is some of your realist talk? My realist talk is that the most important thing that we can do in the world is be kind to each other. I think that, um, we never know anybody. We never know another person's story. <laughs> you know, we we don't know what a person has been through. We don't know um, where they come from. They don't. We don't know why they feel that way. I think the world right now is is bereft with meanness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're we're in a mean time politically. Yeah. You know, we're in a we're in a mean time in terms of accepting one another. And I think it's I think it's really important. You know, we're all connected. We're all stardust. And I think that and I think we all just really need we just need to be kind to each other. That's that's what I've learned in my years. So beautiful. That's my real talk. That's my real talk. Roz Poole, thank you so much for your time. This thank was you, Pam. Awesome. This has been really fun for me. I've enjoyed Good. every minute of it. Thank I'm you so much. So, when do you think this, you know, when this will air or? This will be out next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Okay. 
We'll yeah. we'll listen to it. We'll all yeah. be together next Wednesday. There's I'll one. Have that... all my, I'll have all my family and friends that listen do that too. All okay, right. thanks, Dan. It's been fun. Thank all you. Right. Take care, Roz. Bye. Thank you again to Roz. That was such an amazing treat to get to sit down and connect and reconnect and really get to know her as an adult because my memories of her are so limited in scope to just reading that story, but being five, six, seven, eight, nine year old, right? Um, but to sit down and reconnect as adults and to be able to to tell people like that, thank you, you know? I'm gonna get emotional, man. Like, I, I just, I don't know. That, that really, really is uh, something that I feel profoundly and deeply. And I'm really glad that I'm able to have that opportunity to thank people like that who have shaped my life in such a major way. Um, we don't tell teachers and, and people like coaches and, and, and mentors from our childhood sometimes how much they mean to us or that I love you. And, uh, you know, when you get to do that, it's a really cool thing. So that was a special one. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I need to get out of here before I totally lose it. But thank you to Roz for... Uh, for sitting down and spending that time. That was awesome. Thank you so much for reading that book. People, go buy that book, okay? Go buy that book. And uh, yeah, yeah. Go tell your favorite teacher. Go track them down. You can do it. It's very easy, okay? But go find your favorite teacher and tell them, you know, or coach or, or whoever, you know, your big brother, big sister, your aunt, your uncle, your godfather. Hey, tell them how much they mean to you because... Uh, that matters. That really matters. So good stuff. Check out the other episode that is up today. Uh, totally different vibe. Just going to warn you now. Uh, lots of profanity. I kept this one very clean out of respect. Okay. But um, the other one, a little bit more, uh, you know, Red Bull induced post Lewis the Child podcast recap and storytelling. And uh, if you love entrepreneurship, if you are like, dude, how is this guy doing this all by himself? And like, what is he doing in order to get to where he's trying to go? Go listen to the post Lewis the Child podcast and uh, hear how I handed out QR code stickers and made over 100 plus quality impressions and gained new followers and listeners. Um, I'm just bootstrapping it, baby. Brick by brick. If you build it, they will come. You know, these are some of the things that I hold to be true in uh, my realist talk. So I'm out here doing it every single day. Please leave a rating and a review and share this episode with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Follow along on social media at BennyTomp18 or at RealTalkWBennyT and come back next Wednesday and we'll have another banger for you. Everybody take care. Tell people you love them. I am Ben Tompkins. That's Real Talk.